I said, empty your mind. Be formless, shapeless, like water. It's about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. How much you can take and keep moving forward. Join movement expert Aaron Alexander as he dives into the minds of the foremost innovative healthcare thinkers and movement masters on their approach to optimal health and wellness. Align Podcast. Oh yeah, welcome back to the Align Podcast. I am your host, Aaron Alexander, and today I had a good day. Reason being, I got to speak with one of the most influential folks in my career to date, Mr. Kelly Start from MobilityWide. In this conversation, we got into actionable tips on how to develop your tissue health. We got into the simplicity of moving and living better in your body. We got into, if you are moving like a duck, why you gotta cut that out ASAP? And a whole bunch more than that. Super fun discussion. I know you guys are going to dig it. I would say it is a mandatory listen if you have a body out there. And uh, be sure to leave reviews, comments, share, all that stuff on iTunes, subscribe, um, or Stitcher if you're listening to it there. It is so, so helpful for the show to get broadcast to the world. I think we're losing track of what are the core principles. Are you moving around? Are you sleeping? Are you drinking water? But I think there's a lot of problems that could be solved if we paid basic attention to our feet. And uh, be sure to check out the website, aligntherapy.com. That's A-L-I-G-N therapy.com. On there, you will find the blog. You will find hundreds of absolutely free videos on functional movement, self-care techniques. Um, You will find online courses. You will find online coaching. You will find the self-care kits, which will leave your body feeling fantastic, moving well for hopefully the rest of your life. Alright, gonna give you a little bit of a briefing for this conversation because we did not start with the standard Welcome to the show, Mr. Kelly Stars. We uh, started off chatting just like a couple of girls and just started recording. So we are chatting about a fellow both of us have a mutual appreciation for, Mr. Joe Rogan. And uh, that's how we got started. So here we go, back to the conversation with Mr. Kelly Stard. Align Podcast. He, you know, I think he is really important in, in the schema of bringing concepts to people that matter and, you know, really being able to talk that language, but also um, calling bullshit. You know, he really like, like with uh, Dave Asprey, I think I really appreciate it. He's like, hey, whoa, 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 whoa. You know what I mean? Let's, let's just not just peddle bullshit here. I mean, not that, you know, sex you know, alien space sex is not bullshit, but you get the idea. Well, that's, and that's to, to that point, that is where I kind of come into like, you know, with bio, I freaking hate the word biohacking. Even I use it like at least once a week, like that's a great hack. I'm like, Oh shit. <laughs> no, but yes, with, with all that, it's like, sometimes it can get pretty ridiculous. And then that's when I get into the placebo aspect of it. You know, if you well, get this bottle of, you know, GABA, Omega, Phenobut, what like whatever it's like, I, I know that's stuff's super powerful, but nonetheless, like I think oftentimes you can give it power because it has a sparkly label and how much intention you put into it. Well, and I'll put it this way that, you know, Joe probably does his best to maximize and optimize his sleep and his downregulation. Right. And the hack is not taking care of yourself. The hack is the shortcut. And I've been to enough right. biohacking conferences that my wife and I really, really cringe at that word a little bit because what we see is people who are not fit, who do not have a physical practice, who do not exactly. sleep, not eat, do not eat food. They're puffy and fat and slow. And they're looking for, let me take this 16 pounds of cumin juice and that will, you know, or whatever, turmeric, turmeric powder face juice. Right. And that, that will suppress my inflammation so I can continue to be subhuman. Right. And I think sometimes we confuse like the word biohack with just like clever, you know, health practices. You know, Ben Greenfield's really good about this where he's like, you know, he's like the biohacking king or people like to think of him that way. But he's like, dude, I, I, I hate that word. You know, and it's like biohacking, like spending 20 minutes in like a cold bath, like that's not a biohack. That's challenging. You know, like that's an endurance race. You know, it's like for you to be able to do that, you're not getting one over on anybody. Like you're putting your time. That's not not a shortcut at all. And, and, you know, I know Ben well or well, pretty well. And I will just tell you that like he eats food, he sleeps, like spends time with his family. You know, we were just at a conference last weekend and, and he's in the back standing without his shoes on. You know I mean? Like that's not a hack. That's like, Hey, how am I going to work these behavioral modifications into my day? And it's interesting. 
there are physios out in the world right now, and this is sort of a hot topic for me, and practitioners who are not connecting the dots between the downstream pain dysfunction that we're seeing and the the errors in adaptation lifestyle that we're making. You know, that you know, we just some guy on the internet was talking some physio who should know better was talking about how tech neck is BS. That spending some spending, you know, two to eight hours a day in a hunched over position is not a big deal because he's you know, he's saying, Hey, I bend over to I look at the ground when I get up out of bed. I and what we're what we're have to sort of discern is saying what is what is a human being designed to do? Right. What's the care and feeding of that human being sense? And then does my lifestyle match that? So if I'm sedentary, well, that's that sort of is a is violation of the of an organizing type one principle, and that principle is I'm designed to move, and that's why I have a nervous system. So if I'm not moving, and then I'm not moving well, you know, is is that worn out knee? Is that just normal? Right. No, it's not normal. That's 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 an adaptation error, and I think that's where we really have to help people understand. You know, um, Yami Tikin and behind was telling me about a. A guy who was talking about saying, "Hey, well, let's let's spin this out into dose and minimum effective dose." Sure. So, if you ate all your meals for a week at one sitting, that's probably not as effective. Okay, so what, what's it look like at three times a day? Okay, well, it's more effective four times a day. Well, maybe that works five times a day. Maybe you're an athlete. Now we start to lose effective dose. Now I'm eating twenty two times a day, right? So there there is some effective dose that makes us the most robustness of of our human selves, and then we can start to to spin that out. Well. You know, how much movement do I need to maintain this one? Our idea is you are an N of one. Right. You've got to be engaged in some kind of physical practice, physical practice, which means that's an exercise is a component of physical practice, body maintenance, health, nutrition, sleep. Like this is all contributing to the carriage of the thing. But there is a minimum dose on that. Like my wife and I just rode our kids to school, you know, on the bikes and rode back, you know, like that's not even exercise. That's just being active. People normally we walk you know, how, and what we see is that people are getting hyper precise and there's a lot of misplaced precision around the hacking measurement tech, you know, wearable, look at my control. And then the rest of their life is a disaster. Right. And I, I think that's where we've got to, you know, let, let the, you know, the, the curve kind of come back to zero as we get closer to that, that Fibonacci ideal sure. in terms of our lifestyles. Yeah. And that's, and that's tricky because there's so much bullshit out in the world right now and people's attention. I mean, on Twitter right now, if you go out and my feed is full of, you know, besides New York times and stuff like that, my, my, my feed is full of gurus and experts who are just pumping out information and it is so loud and everyone has a podcast and everyone has the definitive squat article. And right. like, it's really so much information that, you know, so many experts that I think we're losing track of what are the core principles? Are you moving around? Are you sleeping or drinking water? Right. Did you get some sunshine? Yes or no? And it's that simple. Right. And I think that you've done, and I'm going to obviously include all this stuff because it's all like brilliant, great. And I'll probably do some kind of cheesy, you know, like, here we go, Kelly Star, welcome <laughs> to the show. <laughs> but that's just fun. Uh, behind the scenes. Um, you know, so I think what you've done a really good job with, Kelly, is, is figuring out and breaking down, simplifying this for people, that it is, you know, this is a mathematical equation that we're participating in this world of, you know, it's like all these vectors and positions that we put our body into, they will have a outcome, you know, and it's like so many of us, we think that we can cheat and kind of just like forget about our bodies and allow our, you know, our knees to roll in, our feet to roll in, or, you know, just like bending in our back and just picking stuff up in a weird way or just, just text neck or all that stuff over and over and over again. Like our bodies are so freaking resilient that we can somehow we're able to, to maintain for X amount of years, but you are always adding onto that equation. You know, in every moment you have a conscious choice. Do I want to add strength, stability? No, I want to insulate myself with wellness and health and vitality, or do I want to chip away at my iceberg? Like we're going to earth, you know? And it's like, I think that's what you've done such a good job with is really simplifying this is like, Hey, like, and, and you mentioned, you know, your wife's is like, make a better decision. You know, it's like every moment. One of the things that I say to that is I say, you know, make every moment is an opportunity to get better, be it better in your mind, get better in your body, get better with your relationships. Every single second is an opportunity. You know, it's like carpe diem, carpe your opportunity. Well, I mean, I think people completely can, re that resonates with people. And I think that the, the addendum to that is saying that, Hey, people have been talking about this for a long time, that being mindful 
you know, it's really what we're trying to be, be present. Well, that means I can be mindful of my feet too. And my, my conscious processes, right? I can try to stay on task and not open up Facebook, but I can also make sure that I'm not slouching while I'm staying on task and not open on Facebook. So, you know, I used the example of Musashi, who was 450 years ago, wrote the book of the five rings and talked about your combat stance is everyday stance. There's no difference between who you are and how you're going to project yourself at, whoa, <laughs> you know, how you're going to project yourself into the world and, and the person you are now. And I think that's the issue. We're seeing people train and exercise and then they devolve to some subspecies instead of seeing that as a continuum and that the training is, is the deep practice, Pilates, yoga, I mean, these were, these were conscious practices, martial arts, where we were trying to integrate sort of the self-actualization concepts into physical practice. But we just haven't connected the dots sort of, well, the way I pick up my daughter is the way I'm training to pick up deadlifting. And, and that's, that is changing. You know, the, the problem and one of the things, one of the, the filters through which we run all of our thinking is does this scale to performance? So even Mel Sif, the great Mel Sif, you know, said a long time ago, Look, just because a, a posture is dysfunctional or a dysfunctional posture isn't always pathological. And I think that's an important to recognize. People have amazing genetic tolerances, right? And all we have to do is say, okay, why are these guys having these non-contact ACL tears in the NFL? So a couple big high round draft choices have torn their ACLs in camp, just cutting. And, you know, is that, is that, was that a predetermined issue or was that a, a, a consequence of lots and lots of dysfunction? So sometimes that those partial deficiencies or that foot turned out like a duck, it doesn't matter, especially when I don't apply the scale or the, the concept at load or intensity or at duration. And so one of the, the key concepts that we're always focusing on is saying, hey, look, we're going to take the, the highest aspects of sport and performance, the Formula One, and we're going to take those principles and be able to scale them backwards so that sport isn't just circus. Because if it's just circus, who cares? We'll burn the bodies. We'll give them to the lions afterwards. Rods, entertainment. But what we figured out is we can take the best practices and spin them backwards because we see that if you run like a duck, yes, you can walk like a duck, move around like a duck for a long time, but you can't cut or jump like a duck. Right. And over time, so what we start to say is, okay, well, at low speed and at low impulse, maybe it doesn't matter, but it matters if you're going to have a continuum between slow, the way I work, the way I am, and highest levels of performance. And I think where the dissociation is, is that people aren't drawing that connection. You know, yes, you can bend over and look at the ground, but you can't swim, and that's going to impact your shoulder positioning and your overhead positioning, and God forbid you're ever going to climb, or if you fall on an outstretched hand, that's going to be a shoulder injury. Yeah. So, Or you're compromising your breathing function, and that's going to matter when you're 70. The, our idea is it has to scale from children to the Olympic athletes, and I should be able to connect the dots. And I can't tell you how many physios I've talked to who have lost with practitioners who've lost patients because they can rehab the injury and then they have no idea what the bridge looks like on the way back to high level performance. And there is no bridge. It's a continuum. Right. I'm curious for you, you know, so you are probably like the quintessential like squat guy out there. I'd say if anyone's thinking about squats, probably like, yeah, kill I, I, I connect that with you kind of bringing that to the world. You know, obviously squats have been happening forever. You know, you reference yoga often, which that's you know, like thousands of years, like all this stuff that it's like we're bringing out or forefronting or whatever. It's like, it's, it's nothing new at all. No. <laughs> you know, it's just, but but no. our, way of, our way of talking about it is yes. new. Our understanding is new or the applications are new, but you're absolutely right. And more importantly, there have been brilliant people solving the problems of the human condition for as long as there have been people. And, right. and what's understanding, and I think this is where, where I get rubbed wrong when people don't understand the work and the model we're proposing is that we're saying that the model has to account for all the phenomenon that we see. And if your model doesn't account for understanding what the tenets of yoga is and are, then there's a problem in yoga and there's not, or there's a problem in your model. If that same model doesn't explain Olympic lifting, then we also have a problem in the model. So the, these organizing principles have to account for all the phenomenon we're seeing. And when you have the organizing principle behind it, this is the best spinal position for generating load. This is how we organize the hip work. Suddenly you can look back and understand when you jump into a Pilates class, you're like, holy crap, this is brilliant. When you go work with Pavel at Strong First, you're going to be like, oh, you know, he's been talking about screwing your hands into the ground to create a better, more powerful push-up for 30 years now. Right. So 
I think it's important that we're understanding that what we've done now has been able to see, oh, because we can connect the dots more efficiently than everyone else, or we've had more data than everyone else, right? Greg Cook, Lee Burton came up with the functional movement screen in 96. Holy crap. I mean, that's 1996, you know, overhead squatting as a diagnostic tool. So, but now we have the benefit of the internet and seeing so many other diverse and disparate communities work that we can now start to draw better parallels between. And that means that we can really start to pull out best practice. And that's what we're seeing at the highest levels of sport and even at training youth and into, into therapy and rehab. Right. right. I mean, Ida Rolf, Ida Rolf was correct. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So do you, you know that I'm a rolfer? Is that why you pulled that out or is that? Well, it turns out that <laughs> I dated this girl in Boulder when I went to school there. Oh, nice. went, to the, went, to, went to the Rolfing Institute. Did she right? have leg hair or a bit hair? <laughs> I'm not gonna, I'm not going to say she wasn't abundantly patchouli, patchouli <laughs> but I've spent a lot of time. I've been Rolf myself. I've been through two 10 series and some advanced work, and um, I've spent a lot of time in the Rolf Institute, so I'm very familiar with Rolfing. Sweet. You know, and one of the things that you have mentioned before is like Rolfing hasn't fixed it. You know, physical therapy hasn't fixed it. Yoga hasn't fixed it. There's so many different variable, variables at play here. You know, it's like if you get too attached to flexibility, that's great. That's a small piece. You know, you get too attached to all these different biohacks or whatever. It's like, I slept for 14 hours yesterday. It's like, that's fantastic. You know, but like that is just a small component of the whole system, you know, and you you really get after this whole systems approach, which I respect a lot. And that's like when I, when I work with clients, that's always the question is like, you know, oh, I have, you know, degenerative disc disease. It's like, how's your diet? You know, are you, are you eating a diet that's actually causing your body to pull calcium out of your bones? That's possible. You know, it's like, how's your, how's your movement practice? Are you able to maintain neutral spine as you're picking stuff up? Or are you stressing that joint out all the time? I'm curious for you, with working with your patients, is there some aspect of these, you know, these best practices or, or of, um, you know, these systems that you seem like that you see missing often, or is it, is it always random? No, I think you're nailing the idea that, you know, there has to be a systems approach. Even when we address mobilization or mobility, motor control is the first piece. You know, if you're in a good position, and are working at the, uh, the fullest available ranges of your body, you're probably very safe and you can buffer those positions longer than working in a bad position with limited range of motion. So that allows us to be stable, continue to work while we make change around the joint capsule tissues, while we make change around the soft tissue, fascia systems, while we make changes to the muscular dynamic system. Comma, we, if we don't address your lifestyle, you know, then if you're not sleeping, if you're stressed out, if you don't absorb the water you're drinking, if you don't get vitamin D, if you don't have regular blood test, I mean, just you've got to be human on that side and you have to really put some time and energy into that. And, you know, I'm not talking about, you know, if you eat well like a human being and you have some ice cream, that's not what we're talking about. You know, if you wake up and you've had water for 16 hours and you grab a piece of French toast and you can start to see how those things start to aggregate into tissue health that does really ultimately affect the quality of my movement because I'm inflamed. And we have this saying in, in physio, I'm sure you, you've seen it too. It's called PPP, which is piss poor protoplasm. That means that some people's tissues are just so junky. Yeah. You know, and we, we have a, a meme against vegetarianism because not that you can't be a, a, an immaculate vegan. And I know some immaculate vegans who really eat better than almost anyone I know. In fact, if we were going to say someone should eat, we're like, be a vegan plus grass-fed meat, be a vegan plus eggs, be a meat vegan plus the highest quality animal proteins you can go. But what we see is that, you know, people are, you know, decide to be vegetarian or decide to be vegan and they become very lazy and their tissues are chronically inflamed. And we see a lot of torn meniscus and, and sort of tendinopathy related around that when people are trying to do a practice, but in the consciousness that we're missing basic tenets of what it is. And I can make that same statement about all my paleo friends, right? Sure. Who are, who are eating sweet potatoes and grass fed meat and haven't had sex. You know, what is, um, <laughs> John Berardi is like, Hey, what is it? Eight, eight fists of broccoli or eight fists of vegetables a day. Like, let me know how that goes when you eat eight fists of vegetables a day, <laughs> then we can start talking, right? right? Eight, eight fists, eight, right? Like one gram, of, one gram of protein per body weight for an athlete. That's a nice, Right. Like, so, you know, just be in that range, eat eight fists of, of, of vegetables, and then we can talk about your diet or some other aspect. 
Right. I have a completely separate question in relation to squats that I wanted. I think there's a lot of oftentimes mystery in the world as far as like what is a functional squat position look like, you know, cause you have the sumo squat and like, that looks really weird. You know, you have all, you could stand feet together. Like that's really uncomfortable for some people, you know, and then you look at like Dr. Stuart McGill and he has, he's does really good job of breaking down you know, like we can break down the hip girdle. I could tell you whose hip this is from what part of the world. You know, I can't, but you know, people can, you know, it's like, so, so how that, that, that differentiation of the actual shape of the girdle determines the functionality of your squat. Um, is that something that you utilize with your patients or with you know people in general? Yes. And, and how how do you how, how do people do that for themselves at home? How do they figure out like how do I squat? Well, there's a couple couple ideas, and more importantly, there is when we establish. Not, and when I say we, I'm talking on behalf of the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons, American Academy of Family Practitioners. I'm talking about Norkin and White, the physios who designed the range of motion goniometry books. Right. So we all have agreed on this is normal human function. And not, not that I have hip dysplasia or the, I have the Scottish hip. Even with those things, your normal hip range of motion includes being able to squat all the way to the ground. So let's just be clear about that. To, to be able to point at your crappy range of motion, your inability to squat or inability to be a skilled human, and to point at your anatomy is what we call apologetics. And it really does give people an excuse. Oh, I, you know, I can't go hip crease below the knee. No, I have a hip problem. Well, yeah, your hip problem is that you're overextended and you're stiff and you can't create torque and you've impinged your hip. There's your hip problem, right? It has nothing to do with the fact that you have a deeper socket. The variability of people squatting will, will come up in the what position allows me to generate the most force conversation. So it may be narrow. It may be wide. Right, very, very various people who are bow-legged, their feet are going to turn out a little bit more. But the idea at the bottom, bottom of this is that the organizing principles are the same. Is my pelvis-lumbar relationship organized? So there's some physios out there who only talk about reactive stability, right? Oh, it's just reactive, so bracing doesn't matter, sequencing doesn't matter, it's just reactive. And I'm like, well, how then are you going to solve this wretched mechanical problem? Are you getting people organized before they sequence, before they start to descend? And what we think is, and what our experience around the clinical practice is, a lot of people get under a load or even body weight, and they haven't even put themselves into a good position first. The same position I would do before I even address the golf ball before I swung, right? You can't just wind up there and be all flexed and then hope it comes back into neutral. So when we're looking at the squat fluency, you should be able to pistol. You should be able to squat feet together. You should squat wide, you know, and that's going to be a continuum for you based on your anthropometry. But that doesn't mean that you shouldn't be able to do it. And if you can't get into Mitsubidach, right, horse riding stance, then we have a problem probably in something that rhymes with your adductors. <laughs> and so, and, and I think what's crucial here is we want people, there is not a single squatting position. There is my, you and I are competing in a squat contest today. I'm going to put myself into the shape where I know I can squat the most. That is not the, the end of the conversation. You know, the squat we teach is a squat that doesn't end at hip crease below the knee. It's a squat that ends when I can have full range of motion. So if I'm powerlifting and you and I decide that the, the rules of the game or I just have to get to parallel, I'm going to make a bunch of different decisions about my mechanics that limit me to above parallel. But if, you know, the reason in CrossFit, for example, or the reason that in our gym, we teach a squat that allows us to then make an error. If I was going to jump from a, a high ladder and I had to absorb all the force into the ground, am I going to land wide? No way. I'm going to land in a position that allows me to use those shock absorbers all the way to the ground. Right. So I'm jumping and landing. So that's going to be probably a narrower stance. Right. Yeah. One thing I want to point out is as we're talking here, and I'll probably put this actually video up on YouTube as well, but um, you can see that Kelly is going in and out of, it looks like you're sitting kind of like dojo, you know, whatever, like sitting on, on your heels kind of thing. And then going into Indian style or Lotus, if you got a Lotus, I don't know if you got a Lotus. And now, and now, I'm, and now I'm in middle splits. Yeah, right. Exactly. Okay. You know, and so and then, going through. And then I also, I also, have been in this position, which is just full squat. Yeah, exactly. You know, and I do the exact same thing, you know, right now I'm, I'm standing up. I'm, I'm actually been balancing on this thing, which I sell this on my website, you know, I'm, so I've been balancing on a foam roller the whole entire time. You know, it's like, 
I think it's easy. I was talking to Vinny Tortrich uh, yesterday, you know, and we were talking, and he was kind of like making fun of me a little bit and kind of, you know, pointing out, it's like, well, aren't you just putting yourself into another prison? You know, it's like the whole world is in this prison of like, they're stuck in their chair all day and they're not able to move. It's like, well, Aaron, you're in like the circus prison, you know, but it's still a prison. And I, and I disagree. You know, I think that, that a prison is like a limitation, you know, whereas, whereas, you know, by giving yourself that option to keep moving, you know, at, at the deepest level, we are oscillation, you know, we are energy vibrating, you know, and it's, if we don't permit ourselves to keep on moving that, I think that becomes a limitation. So just well, I, take, take a look at this. Even if you look at, um, an anti-fatigue mat, right? They're, they're ubiquitous. Go to Safeway. You're going to see an anti-fatigue mat. You know, everyone's standing on the reason anti-fatigue mat works is that the surface is soft enough that you're always moving a little bit. And because you're always moving a little bit, you're, you're, you're not on your fascial system, not on your muscular system. Now you're back to bony fascia combo, right? So you're changing support systems. And as you constantly move, you're bringing in new blood and repositioning and unloading tissues so they can be reperfused. So that's how an anti-fatigue mat works. If you're static and stand, that's also sort of a dead end. And, and our idea is you should be, if you sit down, then you have stopped the conversation about movement option. We want a movement rich environment. And people have said, you know, I don't, I'm not the first person to say this, but your next position is your best, best position. Well, that's sort of true. But the maximum underneath that is that I'm designed to be in constant motion, even small motion. So, you know, and I, I point this out to people, well, go ahead and just try to meditate for 20 minutes. Just sit mechanically, integrity impact, back straight, full lotus, hands that organized into an extra rotation, shoulder position, and just let me know how that goes for you. And in 20 minutes, people are frying. I'm like, whoa, so you can't even sit still for 20 minutes, and yet you're making fun of us constantly moving. To sit still requires immense discipline, immense preparation to be mechanically stable that you can actually shut up and meditate, right? So I think it's crucial that people understand that the human being is designed for small motions, that we're getting up, that we're shifting, that we're moving around, and that that fidget is built in because we are changing systems. We're now hanging on our fascia. Now we're hanging on the muscle. Now we're more into the joint biased position. I don't, you know, and that we're, we're changing support systems as I also change. So as long as I'm standing up, then I at least can have an, an intelligent conversation with myself about, Hey, I, I can now put my foot up and now I can stand on this roller or now I can, I can squat down. So that's, that's what, and then more importantly, I think is that I'm going to have to train later I'm also a busy person like you and I'm working on my positions while I'm doing something else because what we can't do for people is give them another thing they have to do. We have to bury this in. So if there's some notion that you're going to spend an hour a day with a perfect mechanical practice and then also an hour a day meditating and also an hour a day training and also an hour a day food prepping, at some point you become like a monk and you're not even a real person and you're not going to be able to talk to your kids or your wife. So how are you going to feed these best practices in to a system that's already chaotic? And how do I know that? Well, we work with a lot of professional athletes, like all of them. And these teams have very impacted times. So if we're going to make <coughs> changes in their mechanics, we have to go into the system saying, where are the opportunities where we can improve this? So if, during the meetings, guys are sitting on balls. During the meetings, guys are on Normatech. In the meetings, guys are, are using Mark Pro. To, to, so now suddenly we, we're, we're feathering in best practices so it's not one more thing the athlete has to do or the person has to do, which leads to zero adherence. Right. Yeah, one of the, the quotes, I don't, I'm, I'm really bad at remembering who does quotes, but it's, uh, <laughs> it's uh, your, what is it, your biology, your biography makes your bio, your biography creates your biology, right? You know, so everything that you do throughout the day, your biology is listening, you know, the way that you stand in your body, are you standing in a strong, upright, stable position? You know, and that's the great thing with, you know, these archetypal positions that you talk about is their positions of victory, you know, and like a, at like a deeper hormonal level, you are training yes. victory into your system. And I know this, like I, I get, I get flack for being kind of like a hippie. And, you know, I think that a lot of like the hippie stuff is, is spot on, you know, it's like, there's like, you know, everything is everything. I think, you know, it's like, it's like, I think it's like, we get into this thought of like, 
this, this separation between everything, you know, and I think the thing with hippies is they're annoying and they smell bad and like, there's all this stuff that's like, Oh, but like the core of it oftentimes is pretty good information. Well, the problem is when you say things like root into the earth, I'm like, what, what, right. how, how, how am I teaching that to a five-year-old and what does that mean? Right. <clears throat> but at the heart of the soul that is putting your toe on the ground, like we talk about in yoga and in movement means that I'm going to have better mechanics that, that, maintaining a better position actually does allow my diaphragm to have better surge in my pelvic floor to work. And I'm not breathing up in my face where it's just firing up cortisol as I breathe in my chest. So if you're sitting at your desk listening to this right now and you take a breath and it's up in your neck, you're reinforcing a stressed pattern that your body recognizes as a stress pattern. And as soon as you sit up and actually can breathe through your diaphragm again, once again, your body's like, nothing is, nothing is fucked here, bro. We're going to be able to breathe. That's a, that's a parasympathetic position. And so why wouldn't all of these systems be integrated? You know, the, we have a, we have a nervous system moves through the environment. Cognition has been bootstrapped onto that nervous system. Those are integrated through pathways and they should, you know, the oldest experiment on the book, smile and you'll feel happy. Isn't that weird? It's, a big deal. it's totally, it's totally weird. I mean, yeah. that's why the Buddha was like, Hey, when you sit, you should smile while you meditate just a little bit. Like, don't be a, don't be a fool. But you know, these are integrated systems that, that the biology does. And look, we can then take that concept and, and apply it to rolfing. You know, you, when you do rolfing or processing, if you're a structural integration person, you know, or not, but uh, the idea is you take a lot of photos at six months and even at 12 months and at 18 months, and people continue one degree of change on the horizon represents a lot of change. And as you turn, what, seven months or eight months to turn over all your fascia system, 18 months to turn over your skeletal system. So the body is constantly reshaping, remapping. The issue is that we're not constantly feeding into it to make those changes happen. It will happen. And I had this great, great um, physical therapy professor who was uh, head of pediatrics at UCSF, and she said, muscles and tissues are like obedient dogs. And that is a powerful organizing principle. We're designed to heal, and we're designed to constantly remap, but it's just your will that's the problem. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and it's something that I talk about with clients with that is, you know, it's like every moment we are creating the software for our future selves. You know, it's very easy to be like, Oh, today, you know, like, great, we're doing these, these silly little exercises. I'm like teaching you how to sit into a chair functionally to actually, you know, start creating that foundation that, oh, your knees are going to start to develop differently. You know, your feet are going to start to develop differently. You know, I've heard you say before that you've never find a flat arch that you weren't able to get some lift with it. You know, like you weren't able to get the navicular to come up. You know, it's like we are, we are training these patterns every day, you know, and we have to recognize that literally we are, we have the opportunity to write our soft software all the time, but it's that we want that immediate, you know, gratification, you know, it's like, like you said, it's like seven months to return everything over, you know, it's like, give it some time. You're going to build the foundation for really amazing stuff to happen. And, and it's the key is we come back to this concept of daily practice. So what, what, you know, we want to do, I don't remember some, maybe it was Charles Polycone or something. It was like once a week, you should lock yourself into a room and stretch for eight hours. And I was like, eh, it's not going to go with my wife. <laughs> she's not, she's not going to dig that. Hey, hon, I'm, I'm unavailable. I'm working on my hips for the next three hours. <laughs> but what I can tell you is developing a practice that doesn't feel overbearing or doesn't feel like it puts me into, um, deficit in my life. So that, Hey, if I worked on my soft tissues 10 or 15 minutes a day based on sound principles, which we know why, because it's intra and interrelated reliable and it's observable, measurable and repeatable phenomenon, which is the definition of good science, just FYI, you know, then, then if I work on those things and I see change and experience change, it's going to continue to work, but it's just a dose and response, dose and response. So our idea is no days off. It's really a paradigm of saying, Hey, look, don't wait until things break. Just because it doesn't hurt doesn't mean it's not, not optimized. Right. And when we show people, you know, I just did a lecture at a local high school and we had 75 uh, ninth and 10th graders there. And I asked how many people are, are pain free and only two kids raised their hand. Every other kid was already having pain at age 15, 16. So what's the plan for that? Wait till everyone breaks, try to put a practitioner in the front of them every single day. That just doesn't work. It's, it's not scalable. It doesn't work in the army. There are one, there's one therapist for 5,000 soldiers. Let me know how that works for you. That is a broken system. I'm curious back to Vinny, Vinny, Vinny's point of, you know, like kind of working yourself into a new prison. 
Um, I'm curious when I'm working, you know, if I exercise at a gym, one of the things that I'll say to people, you know, is like, make sure first, what are you training for is the most important thing. Like everyone needs, if you're on a treadmill right now, or if you're on, you know, whatever your bicep curls right now, like ask yourself, like how will this directly translate to me becoming a better human being? If it only translates to you becoming a better gym rat, in my opinion, that's, that's a poor usage of your time, you know? And so what we can do is we can go to the reduction. So at least you're in the gym exercising. Sure. So kudos. Usage of the time is the thing. That's right. And so, that's, you're, you're absolutely right. But I'm curious, I'm curious with you, with, you know, it's interesting because I, I agree with CrossFit, you know, I think that's interesting because it's like you're doing dangerous exercise. I think if you're not doing dangerous movements, then you're probably doing the wrong movements because life is dangerous. You should train yourself where there's variables. But well, not, I, I don't think they're dangerous. I mean, I mean that, that's where, that's where we split. I really, they don't, they're not dangerous. And, you know, moving poorly at low to speed and running and jumping, I mean, two ACL tears, the problem is we're not connecting the dots between the gym. So Erwan LaCour, great thinker, get outside. Why can't you run? Why can't you swim? Why can't you climb? I totally agree, right? Get some vitamin D. Right. But he put up this old video, and I'm sure he'll, you know, he showed me this video of a guy doing uh, like 10 pull-ups in the gym, and he couldn't figure out how to climb a tree. And I'm like, well, that's because he memorized the pull-ups as like a step routine. He didn't understand the principles behind the pull-ups. So when you teach why we're teaching things in the gym, the gym is just formal expression movements, like classical ballet, but I couldn't agree more. Why are you in the gym? So we value, and we have this conversation at the highest levels of the coaches in CrossFit, that we see CrossFit as a pretty miraculous way for impacted lives to have a complete physical experience, right? In the gym, we can touch a lot of corners, we can develop a lot of capacities, but CrossFit has always been about training for something else. We just have lost that that notion. Like, what what are you doing? Can you go run a 5K? Right. Can you go hike? Are you, are you, you know, in Greg Glassman's original writings in fitness in 100 words or less, he actually said, the end, and people blow this off, regularly learn and play new sports. When's the last time you picked up a new skill? When's the last thing? And what you'll see is people are like, well, I didn't, but I did 50 pull-ups yesterday. I'm like, not a new sport. <laughs> At some point, you are fit enough, strong enough. Pavel is like, hey, you can back squat your body weight, two times body weight. You're probably good. Right. Unless you want to be a powerlifter. And that's just your thing. Otherwise, you fucking have problems you're going to need to address. Well, that's – so that's my question. I mean like when I say dangerous, I, I mean life is dangerous. You cannot say that life is not dangerous. Walking down the street, there are puddles. There's ice. There are dogs. You could get bit. You know, well, it's I, like, I, I know where you're coming from. Right? I, mean, I, see, I see your shoulders. I mean clearly you're engaged in some kind of dangerous activity. <laughs> You know, and so, and so what I'm saying with that, you know, it's like CrossFit inherently, like I I work with people that have been injured, you know, and and it's, it's not, it's because there's a lack of a foundation or like maybe the coach wasn't paying attention or like, you know, it's, it's all about developing that foundation. I think CrossFit's fantastic, you know, and I mean, I think for that reason, because their variables exist, you know, but I'm curious you know, with digging ourselves into any one set, like dogma or paradigm or whatever, you know, it's like since CrossFit became a competition, I'm curious, is that, I don't think it's unhealthy. I'm just curious, like now it's like, well, what are you, are you training for your life? It's like, yeah, dude, I'm training for this competition that's coming up. Well, how about this? Running is a foundational human skill unequivocally. If you can't run, we have problems. If you can't play, pick up basketball. If you're not running around playing frisbee, I mean, you need to be able to run and running is a skill. Okay. So what's it look like when I run a marathon with terrible technique and I get rhabdo? What's it look like when like the most number of overuse injuries I've ever seen hands down is team and training. Team, people get it fired up about doing a marathon, no foundation, get on a program, bam, get crushed with overuse injuries. Like it literally is like, one-to-one and in a physical therapy practice where I used to work, I saw so many team and training. So what we can say is, well, the, what's, what's, so should I run hundred miles, 200 miles? The highest expression of the sport gives us the distilled essence of what it looks like, but it's not the organizing principle. So the number of lessons that I've learned and the number of key pieces of working with games athletes 
everyone has directly benefited from that around volume and training and adaptation. Does the average person need to be, have that level of fitness or dedication training two or three times a day? Absolutely not. That's no different than going out and being an elite triathlete. I honestly, the only difference is that it has a, uh, Olympic lifting in it and rope climbing. But that, those are, you know, you might as well be an elite sumo wrestler. That's the degree of specialization in CrossFit games, except those people can run and swim and do all these other things too. Um, but the heart and soul of, you know, good practice is that there's got to be a skill component to it. And if you talk to any of the coaches in my world, cross or not, we are trying to make more skilled athletes. And our, one of our definitions of good athlete is who can pick up the new skill the fastest. Do your skills that you're currently developing translate over. A good example is Ido Portal. He's like, what do you mean you can't do a handstand yet? What, what, you can do a handstand wall. You can kick up against the wall and slide up and get up and down against the wall like a maniac doing handstand push-ups. But you haven't even developed the skill to do a freestanding handstand yet. Well, not a freestanding handstand push-up. So I think what people have realized or not realized are realizing is that it's so rich and the development of skills – does include things like tumbling. It does include things about judo falling, like learning how to roll and fall. And it's the it's the failure of I like to exercise, I like to have big muscles and be lean, that I'm not also developing myself as a skilled human. I'm not working on the technique of running and the te- I mean my wife and I have a one hour swim lesson scheduled today. <laughs> You know, like, you know, I'm, I'm not a strong swimmer. I mean, I, I grew up in the water, but you know, come on. I mean, when I get in the water, I sink, I literally do sink, but it doesn't mean that I can't work on the skill and that there aren't a million other transfers over the, the idea of physical capacity and physical literacy is that I'm engaged as a functional being and I should be throwing myself into every new sport, every new thing. I can, I can shake my stick at. And that doesn't mean that I'm also not working on my core. You know, can I squat efficiently? Can I deadlift? Can I hip hinge? And there's a lot of ways to work on that. Right. Have you, what's the, what's the biggest physical struggle that you've dealt with in your own body? Has there ever been anything, something where you're like, I don't know how to crack this thing. Oh yeah, for sure. Uh, about 18 months ago, uh, I used to ski FIS. I was a big uh, racing hound as a kid and now I'm fit and strong which is a great recipe when you're old. I'm 40, almost 42. And my wife and I, I was, I was maybe racing some guy, some European guy on the other side of the slope. We were going really fast. I literally had my hip on the ground and I booted out and um, felt a pinch in my right knee. And I was like, ooh, just sprained my knee. That's bad. Good thing I just deadlifted 600, right? I mean, that literally was my thought. And I got up, my wife's like, you okay? And I skied down and, uh, and, and then continue with it. Well, it turns out I'd actually put my femur through my tibia and I have two bone marrow lesions touching, right? So it's, it's a bad knee injury. And I had some, because the knee was pissed, my adductors would be tight, my calf would be tight and developed a big, and this is 18 months of me working on my knee, realizing of course that ultimately the problem was internally the knee. And this, the reason I point this out is I had taken every other thing off the table. Is it my diet? No. Is it my movement mechanics? No. Is it a soft tissue restriction? No. What are the limits? So by the time I went and was able to go point at a, I actually have a physical mechanical injury. I was clear that I'd cleaned everything up off and that those, those lessons even personally are very, very profound. Yeah. Awesome. And you know, I think one of the things that you, I I, I love the book. uh, What is it? Ready to run. Super cool book. I super enjoyed it. One of the things that you mentioned in there is, is moving around barefoot. And I think it's, it's interesting that more people do not take advantage of all the articulation that we have in our feet. You know, so we have like 26 some bones or 33 joints. Like there's a lot. Of, of stuff happening down there. And we wear these boots or these heels. It's like, it's, it blows my mind that we intentionally compress that down and minimize the potential sensation that we have in our feet. And it's like, do you have any thoughts on, on the value of, of just being able to grip your world? You know, like the information that you receive from earth as you're walking around? Well, grounding aside, <laughs> all the other like immune function aside, uh, whenever we can, we go, Juliet's barefoot right now. I'm barefoot. Everyone's barefoot in the house. And I go and pick up my kids barefoot. Sometimes I'm that bad, you know, I jump out of the car barefoot. And the, the idea though is, you know, your feet do need to be supple. 
even good feet aren't very callous, but we'll go four or five days sometimes in the summer without actually wearing shoes. I've been able to go that long without putting shoes on, we're camping or something. And it's amazing how my strike, I strike the ground differently. Right. I still, even though I'm, I walk well and I'm barefoot all the time, I still, my stride length changes, my impact angle changes. Um, I stop getting any blisters or thorns on the second day. My feet literally toughen up that fast enough. I can walk barefoot on rocks. And I think, we're not giving enough homage. I think um, Katie Bowman, Aligned and Well, just put out a new book on Barefoot. The Barefoot, it's not the Barefoot Contessa, that's a cooking book. But there is, and I uh, forgive, forgive me if, uh, if I got her wrong, but I think there's a lot of problems that could be solved if we paid basic attention to our feet. And that means, hey, jump on a lacrosse ball. You're on the side of the roller right now, smashing your feet while you're doing something else. And I think by the time there's a foot problem, we have not, we are so deep into pathology that it's hard to back the trailer, the burning trailer down the, the, the alley. I work with a great podiatrist south of us in San Jose who really has seen a lot of physicians be like, oh, the, the kid will outgrow those collapsed arches. And he's like, it never happens. And so he started making arch supports for the kids. Now, bear with me for a second. And, and the arch support, which we, you know, the arch is a non-weight-bearing surface. That's Romanoff running 101. But he makes an arch support that if the child ever feels the arch support, they're in a bad position. So he uses the arch support as a cue. So the kid has to learn how to create an arch internally. And if they feel the arch support, they're not in a good position. So it's not a full arch support. It's just enough that if the kid collapses and touches it, they get this mnemonic to restabilize. And you're like, I'm like, that's the best arch support I've ever heard. Awesome. <laughs> like if you can feel the arch support, the arch support is, is not working. So, um, I think to your point, your feet should be amazing. Uh, there is a Kit Laughlin, New Zealand physio. He has a great foot sequence we reference in ready, uh, ready to run about spreading your toes out and wringing your feet. And, and, and he does this brilliant foot sequence and it's, it's pretty amazing. That is an exercise. That's something you do while you're watching TV, right? That's, that's, what's great about this. Some of this stuff you can just bury into your life. And if you are not setting yourself up to wear high heels and boots all the time, then the work is a little less challenging, but absolutely worship your feet. It makes a big difference. Yeah. And I think it's really interesting that we don't like, to me, this conversation is so obvious. Like why isn't everyone talking about this stuff? You know, and the reason is we don't get any of this as kids. You know, like we're learning about math, we're learning about history, we know all about Abe Lincoln, you know, but we don't know anything about self-care, self-maintenance, you know, like how, you know, how to whatever, like win friends and influence people like Dale Carnegie, like that's the stuff that people should be learning as little kids. And we, we don't, like we don't know how to functionally pick something up off the ground. I know that you had recently gotten standing desks in your kids' class. What do you think... What do people, what do kids need to be learning? Like, how do we need to reform the educational system? Well, how, how about this is that we can have the age appropriate conversation. So this high school has used Supple Leopard as a textbook to initiate a conversation about tissue health and squatting and mechanics. And they're using it as just a touchstone around teaching physiology and basics. This is the health education we're supposed to get. And it's appropriate at that level. What happens if we just have our kids wear flat shoes. Like, go get, put your kids in cons or vans, right. right? Just be flat, or the nano is pretty flat. And the idea here is, well, what happens if we don't make these errors in the first place? How much more maintenance, or how much less maintenance do I have to do around the health? So, we see is that if our, we just were at the school board last night, we have 100 standing desks at our school. This summer, we will convert the school. It'll be an all standing um, next year, and that will be the first all-standing school in the world. Go ahead and say that, in the world. Nice. And, and if you're interested in this, because it, it matters for you, it matters to your kids, standupkids.org. My wife has done an amazing job. She's the CEO of the ship, and her, this is her pet project. Standupkids.org is incredible and has all the references and resources and links to be able to donate through Donor's Shoes. But what ends up happening is if the kids are standing, they're in constant motion, and we don't have to undo, we don't have to do a lot of couch stretching, or we don't have to do a lot of, because they're, they're not going against sort of the, the design of the human. I think that is a very salient point. So to your, to your point, we need to teach people, this is a lacrosse ball. You know, my, my daughters understand that, you know, we don't sit on our couch. We sit on, on the couch or we sit in front of the couch and my kids are in cross-legged or they're sitting in middle splits or they're doing, you know, so we, we, we're able to initiate a very low level 
conversation that ends up being a nascent form of the greater conversation when we're appropriate. Yeah. I'm curious for you. Do you ever have days where making a better decision, you're just like, screw it. Like <laughs> I just want to eat a jar of peanut butter and ice cream and like not oh. go outside. Or like, how do you deal with that? <laughs> well, I, I think uh, that's part of it too. And you know, one of the things that um, is very interesting, my wife and I started really listening to this, this desire to train. We love to train. My wife is the greatest training partner I ever had. All, I'm lucky all my friends train. So when we're together, training is just something that we do. And everyone's pretty up for it. Usually when someone has an explicit plan, like I'm two weeks out from this big race and, you know, my friends will jump in with me, but they're really, they don't, you know, I mean, otherwise if someone's doing something, we'll all throw our, like, oh, we're squatting to the ground. We'll squat. That's going to be fine. It doesn't matter really what we're doing sometimes unless you're training at elite level. But when we listen to that desire to train, it's very uh, powerful to, to determine about am I fried? What's my nervous system? And it doesn't mean I get to turn the car off. I still need to walk. I still need to make sure I'm drinking some water and things. But we'll do. But, uh, I'm the first guy who's going to eat some pizza sometimes. If you if you if I come to your house and you make pizza, I'm eating it. And I'm going to get <laughs> diarrhea, and I'm going to be I'm be like that's the that's the price. You know, so worth it. It, it is worth it once in a while. <laughs> Understand? You're like, wow, it's really a bad decision. Right. But I think. You know, we become very dogmatic about the way we're conceptualizing and the application of of what our physical practice looks like. And sometimes, if you're burnt, you're burnt. You know, or if you if you need to eat a pint of ice cream, which I can regularly do, they're not in their head. You know, I eat fewer cookies, more ice cream, but, you know, my body weight doesn't change. It hasn't. You know, I mean, all the other some other pieces. I think the problem is when when we travel, for example you tend to be sleep deprived, you're, you're dehydrated. Then you start making decision after bad decision after bad decision. So, you know, one of my friends, Matt Lalonde from, from Harvard said very well, he's like, Hey Kelly, when you travel, you cannot eat cookies and you cannot drink wine. And I was like, Oh, those are the things that make travel manageable. But his point was, Hey, when you're messed up, don't continue to add mess up. Take one messed up thing at a time, right. be human around it. Like be an experiment. You know, if you, if you eat that big plate of pasta, my daughter loves pasta, but she recognizes that when she gets pasta, her stomach hurts. Right. And she, you know, like this is my 10 year old. So like we're going to Italy in like, uh, like as soon as school is out on in, in June and uh, for a little trip, my daughter's like, Oh, I can't wait to eat pasta, but I can't do too much. I'll just eat a little bit but not too much. So if she's already self-regulating, I think it's important that you're fully human. And, uh, you know, I was just working with this athlete, um, down South, who's a very, very high level icon of sport. And he is to the point where he's like, look, if I can't eat a hamburger and that cripples me, then I'm a weak human being, you know? And I have friends like Rob Wolf, who, if they're, if he, he drinks some milk, his knuckles will swell up. Right. That's very, that's, that's this end of the spectrum. But if I drink a gallon of milk, nothing happens to me. Should I drink a gallon of milk? Probably not, but nothing happens to me. My knuckles don't swell up, but I should be able to eat a hamburger and not go off the rails. And what we've seen is that people are using food lifestyle as control aspect for some other problem, right? As, as surrogate for, I don't have control. So I'll, I'll only eat broccoli and chicken breasts. Right. I'm curious, how often do you run into people uh, patients that you're not able to figure their pain out. You know, I think that so many people, it's like we, and maybe it's never, I hope it's never, that'd be fantastic. You know, but I think that it's so oftentimes it's like it's, it, pain is such an interesting subject. You know, when you get down to like the core root of like, what exactly is pain? You know, pain can be wrapped up in your movement patterning. Pain can be in your mind. Pain can be, you know, there's so many different potentials. Like, is that something that you deal with? Yeah. Well, you know, I think uh, Yonda wrote about like one of the ways that we break chronic pain. Chronic pain is is vicious and brutal, and all you have to do is know someone with chronic pain or a central nervous system sensitization, and it is very, very difficult and very debilitating. Right. Uh, we work with a lot of soldiers who've had chronic pain from from amputations all the way down to moms and dads who, you know, we've seen people with radio frequency ablation. So they go into radio frequency, they blow out the nerve roots. They're on. They're literally on you know, uh, morphine when they come to us. And the first thing we do is we don't touch them. You know, we're we're like, Hey, this is not an intervention. Let's show you how to breathe. Let's make sure you've got that down. And then we're going to show you how to breathe and stabilize as you get up from the table. And we're going to show you how to breathe and stabilize as you walk. And then we're going to do this little dragging and we're going to practice squatting. And what we see is that 
per yonda that if we lift up the needle out of the pattern in our brain, because remember, movement, pain, same pathways in the brain. So if we develop a brand new movement pathway, then that, that pain pathway is still mirrored with that old movement pathway. And one of the reasons we're able to help people with in chronic pain conditions so much with our model is that we're optimizing or changing a movement pattern. And so the brain, because you're wired for movement, sees this shoulder position, arm raise, different than this shoulder position, arm raise. Those are completely distinct things, even though my arm is still moving up and down. But because the brain is wired for movement patterning, if we give people a more stable, more discrete new pattern, then we're able to leave some of that chronic pain behind. And I think that's what's crucial is that we haven't met someone, we haven't been able to affect the global ecosystem on because there are so many variables. You know, uh, one of our highest level athletes, I will just say that she's a world champion, a multiple time world champion, was having terrible heart rate variability, recovery scores, omega wave scores for DC potential stuff. And it turned out that she slept with a light on when she was sleeping because that's made her feel comfortable. She'd have the TV on and we were like, Oh my God, like what? And you know, there's always some aspect when she turned the TV off, lo and behold, she started sleeping better and we started seeing decreases in her pain. So there is some, you know, she was having chronic knee pain, we couldn't get ahead of. So the idea is there is some aspect of the system we can always optimize. And I really do in my heart of heart believes that the the body is trying to self equalize, trying to normalize, towards a pain-free state because that's the resting state of the human being pain-free babies aren't born with pain right yeah yeah and one of the things that you i heard you mention one time is balancing the plate and growing the pedestal at the same time you know it's like figuring out how do we work you know both both globally and locally how do we develop the foundation for the individual so that all the pieces can just come into place you know the body is constantly seeking homeostasis just like you're saying you know it just needs that little bit of feedback that little bit of information but so many people you know we we need a pill we need a band-aid you know it needs to say you know, we'll fix you on the cover or it's well, like you don't trust it. Yeah, I, I agree with that. But I think the tide has changed. I think people really are realizing, you know, let me give you an example. Front squatting and running is not a gimmick. It's not a gimmick. Front squatting and running, not a gimmick. And that's, you know, that's CrossFit. And there are 11,000 CrossFits. And how many yoga studios are there? And how many Pilates studios? And how many people are going into functional fitness or learning how to squat or going to perform better and, and goblet squatting with Dan John? I mean, it, something has happened that the old model is, is, is being discarded. And the reason it's being discarded is that we've proposed new models. So, you know, if you want to overturn the paradigm, you know, AKA, um, you know, Buckminster Fuller propose a better model and people will make the other model obsolete. And that's very threatening to the old model. But if we give people better decisions and show them how this works from a day to day (laughs) impulse, then we'll see that the, the tide changes and suddenly people are eating better and they're sleeping better. And, you know, they really start to make these different decisions. And I think that when we make it about injury prevention and scare tactics, that doesn't work. When we point positive to look what happens when, trust me, try it. Oh boy, I did feel better. I slept better. I killed my 5k time. Boy, those are also the same things. You know, if you eat vegetables, you're probably going to run faster. <laughs> I mean, like it's a, it's a, you know, the, the loop connection is one-to-one, I think. So as long as we keep associating this with p- giving people better information and trusting them to make better decisions, try it for themselves. I'm like, shut up. You know, don't take my word for it. Go see. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that it's for me personally, I've always lived in bubbles. I've lived in Hawaii and Boulder, Colorado and Bend, Oregon. It's like, so for me, like in my reality, like, yeah, it's totally normal. Like, you know, listen to podcasts on health and wellness and do front squats and like handstands all day. And like, what's the big deal? Like, let's get on slack line, you know, but like that is a very, very small percentage of like the United States population. I think that is really in that. And I recognize and completely agree that it is shifting and it's so, so powerful that it is shifting. Nonetheless, you know, we need to get these messages into those little podunk places where it's just like, this is still witchcraft, this conversation. It it seems like it is until until you're on on it with the guys and they sell kettlebells, right? Right. (laughs) And then, and then you're, um, you're on Joe Rogan and then you follow Joe Rogan on Instagram and there he's in his middle splits after his jiu-jitsu practice, right? Like sweating, his head is making a pool of sweat, he's working on his middle split. So the, the, the key, you know, opinion makers are showing us what best practice 
the key here is that it's going to take longer than we want, right. but I think it's coming around. Yeah. You know, I think people are understanding that if you just jump on a statin and you blow out your CoQ10, you're going to, you know, you're going to get stiff and feel like crap, you know? And so I think there's other conversations that are happening in our look. I mean, I live in Marin where we can go to the, the farmer's market and get a, wait for it, raw milk latte. I mean, come on, right? That, that's where we live. But there are three paleo gluten-free magazines at the store. Right. So some, something has changed, whether that, you, know, you agree with the paleo gluten-free thing. And what, what I think that what we're seeing is a return to food and a paying attention to organizing or first principles, which is you got to move. you got to have a, a movement practice. It's not just exercise. You can go to SoulCycle and bleed through the eyes and still leave crippled. Right. Awesome. Cool, man. We'll run that time. The one I wanted to open up today, I had it, I had it all elaborately planned. I was going to ask about uh, boner or no boner. And that was, that was going to be the opening. Was <laughs> one of the things that I've, I've heard you mention is just like, you know, like little, the little cues that we can follow in ourselves, you know, that it's like, we don't always need to be hooked up to a blood glucose meter. We don't always need, you know, like we don't need to have all these biohacks and have, you know, wires connected to our brain to know what's going on. There's little subtle cues in our body that we can follow. And I'm like, <laughs> so I'm curious, is there anything that you can put out there to people like, you know, that's, that's an interesting one. Um, but anything else of, of just things that people could be thinking about, like, yeah, like how am I doing? Well, you know, what just how about this? If you go home tonight and you grab a lacrosse ball or grab a you know kid's ball, put it on your body and roll around. And if something hurts at all to compression, that tissue is not normal. Right. You know, I know how many elbows you put into people, right? I've had that experience. And when tissues are healthy and slide, they're pain-free to compression. Like you can you can literally put your elbow through someone and they're like, nah, that's fine. Right. But when you discover a restricted tissue, it's painful to compression. So one of the lowest hanging pieces of fruit is the immediate biofeedback that when I address a tissue and it is stiff, I stop breathing or if it's painful, I found a problem. And it doesn't have ever have to be more sophisticated than that. We can become a lot more sophisticated. But if you just started addressing your own soft tissue dysfunction, and if you and let me just be clear, a, a foam roller is a pool noodle. It's a toy designed for children, right? That's really what a foam roller is. It's a it, you're using it as a balance device. But if you're once you're past the initial stages, it doesn't do anything for you because it's not aggressive enough. It really is low level. But if you lay on that roller, that grid roller you're, you're standing on, and it hurts, whoa! Like there's a forest fire raging all around you, and you didn't even know it. You know you're walking around barefoot. So start with that idea. Get home. Put a clock, put a glass of wine on the table, start drinking the wine. I usually call this the wine timer. When the wine is gone, you're done. And what ends up happening is you'll see you can start a conversation with yourself and discover aspects of your body. Jill Miller, our good friend, wrote the role model, who's just a fascia rolling queen. You know, she one of the side effects that she always points out in her book about rolling is that it wakes up the proprioceptors. People are really shut down because their tissues are stuff. And when as soon as those tissues become supple and start working again, you start getting positive impact or you start getting positive feedback about where your body is. And so, man, if your feet are stiff, roll out your feet. And guess what? You'll be able to feel things with your feet for the first time. Right. But there are so many people. I'm like, hey, you notice you're rounding your back? And they're like, no, it's not rounded. I'm like, uh, that looks like a broken rainbow snake. You know, and they're like, no, 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 it's, it's flat. And I'm like, you can't even, can, I'm touching your back now. Can you feel that? And they're like, you're not touching my back. I'm like, you're, you're so shut down that you're not even aware. So some of the side effects of that will, will improve as a, as a result of just initiating that conversation. And that, that, then if we're doing that, then we can talk about the next conversation. Right. And one of the things that I'll tell people sometimes, like, A, sometimes things need to get a little bit worse before they get better. Worse might be that you feel yourself for the first time and it might not feel so good. You know, like if your yes. spine has been right. in a crummy position your whole entire life and it's become numb, you know, and all of a sudden, oh, I'm feeling like that feels like junk in there, you know, and like and being sensitive in your body can be a double-edged sword. You know, it's like you start to become more aware of all these subtle little changes in your system. You notice when you eat, you know, that, that slice of pizza or that pint of ice cream or whatever it is. 
Well, yeah, totally true. But if but if if you're driving along and you have that electric steering in your Cadillac, and you can't tell that one of your wheels is wobbling and pointing the wrong direction, and that your shock is doing weird things, the engine's spinning, right? Because you've got the radio cranked up, that's a problem. Yeah. So what ends up happening is that the the, the system does start to self equalize but it also starts to normalize. And so you were able to jump on problems before it swings way out. You know, my father was a pilot and I used to go and fly fish with him in Alaska. And when you fly on the ram, it's basically you get an arrow and when you're off course and it says, turn back, right. And I'd be turned back, right. And you'd be, I get an arrow oh, left and then right. And he'd be like, Hey, you make little corrections and then you're flying straight. Right. But I'd be like, Whoa, right, left. Right. And by the time I had spun the airplane 90 degrees to where we're going to correct, you know, he was like, maybe that's not the most efficient way to fly the airplane. So I think if people start to pick up on the the symptoms or the way their body works earlier, then they can start to correct earlier. And that's your body's giving you so much feedback about how it is in the world. We've just insulated ourselves completely from that. Awesome, man. Um, thanks so much. You've been a, a massive, massive inspiration to f- everything that I do with clients and, you know, what I'm doing online and like all that, you know, I like your videos, huge inspiration for me. I've put out hundreds of videos now as well on movement and kind of going from like in like dynamic directions and using foam rolling and all that stuff. And um, just thank you. It's just like, yeah. it's, it's been so cool. And My uh, pleasure. Thank you so much. Where do people find you at? Where do people learn more about the, uh, uh, I, don't, I forget what the, the Children's Foundation standing desk thing is, all that stuff. Take a look at standupkids.org. And we're at standupkids. us on Twitter. You can follow us there. I'm uh, MobilityWad, at MobilityWad, and my wife is at Mrs. MobilityWad. And if you want to check out the work we're doing, I would say don't go to the YouTube site. Go to MobilityWad because you can use all our tech to search more effectively. So you can look what you're looking for. We have, I don't know, 1,600 videos on the site right now, which is just when I say that out loud, it makes me clench my teeth. On the site and in YouTube right now, we've, we're working our way through a 14-day challenge about the archetypal shapes. Do you have full seven green lights is sort of our, our talk around this. Do, can you hit these fundamental positions? And they really are the bookmarked end ranges of what you should be able to do. And I think it initiates an interesting conversation with yourself about how disnormal you are. And you may be the best in the world, but you still can get better. Awesome, man. I appreciate it. Um, thanks for coming on, and uh, I will see you in Marin. I'm planning on coming out there this winter. So, uh, Oh, perfect. We'll see you guys soon. Cool. See you, man. Align Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning into the podcast. I greatly appreciate your comments and your shares in iTunes. They determine the ranking and the visibility of the show, and they make me smile. So I look forward to reading those guys. Be sure to check out the website, aligntherapy.com. That's A-L-I-G-N therapy.com. On there, you can find my blog. You can find this podcast, more information about the topics and the, and the uh, guests that we've had on the show. You can find hundreds of absolutely free instructional videos on self-care, functional movement, how to get strong, how to get fast, how to get exactly what you want out of your body. You can check out the online coaching where we work, how, work out how to optimize your movement practice so that you can live optimally and pain-free for the rest of your life. As well, be sure to check out the self-care kit where it is as small enough to fit underneath the seat in your car and it's like a physical therapist a massage therapist all wrapped up into one package i know you guys are going to love the website i know you guys are going to get a lot of value out of it and i look forward to hearing your comments all right bye Thank you for listening and remember to join the movement by subscribing to the podcast. If the information has been helpful, please share and leave your comments in iTunes. Aaron personally reads each one and it makes all the work worthwhile. Together, we will make a difference and continue to bring more powerful and inspiring messages to the world. Align Podcast.